0: Just keep playing for a couple of minutes. While they're finishing up the worship in our tithes and offerings, let me get you kind of caught up if you've missed a week or so. It's the third week in a series that we've been studying the book of Genesis. When we teach a book like this, it a lot of the times takes me out of my strength and makes me become vulnerable in my weakness. I am a preacher. That's my gift, my call. But sometimes for us to really understand the importance and the authority of God's Word, I have to be less a preacher at times and more of a teacher. And I've tried to blend those two giftings over the first three weeks. Why does this document, why does it start, this love letter between God and man, why does it start with Genesis chapter 1? about a God that was sovereign enough to create everything. Because the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job, so why doesn't the Bible start with the oldest book, the first one written, but yet the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit decided that Genesis chapter 1 and God dictating the details of creation to a man named Moses. Because in the first chapter you'll find out that there was darkness, void, and chaos. And Through the teaching of this creation story, we come to the understanding that God was not giving Moses enough detail for Genesis chapter 1 to be a science class, okay? He really doesn't. So what would motivate God to start with telling us that out of darkness, chaos, and void, He could bring order, detail, and light? It is because we are going to find ourselves in a condition bound by sin where our life is going to reflect the creation of the world. Our life is going to have void areas, it's going to be dark, and sin is going to cause a lot of chaos in our life. And Genesis chapter 1 is God's resume and His references. He said, all you got to do is call day 2 and see what I was able to do with darkness, void, and and, uh, chaos, and you'll find out that I can bring order, detail, and light. And then last week, we talked about the fall of man. And we, I, I gave everybody an apple last week. Now, I, I'm the only one that gets one this week, and I'm going to use it again for a, a sermon illustration in this third part. But what we had was we had a serpent entering into a perfect environment. And just to refresh our minds, a lot of people ask me as their pastor, Pastor, why did God create the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why didn't He just not create that? Because it was the only factor that could determine that we are created different than all other creation in the area of self-will. We have to have a choice to be obedient or disobedient, to rebel or live in right standing with God. And the serpent come into the garden and he made Eve to look upon this fruit, this forbidden fruit, this, the only tree that we had no access to. We could do anything else, eat from anything else, go anywhere else. We had one rule, just don't eat it. And we found that what happens in temptation is a lot of times if you don't have personal revelation of who God is in your life and you're taking it from somebody else, you'll start adding to. And we find that happening in the third chapter of the book of Genesis. Because when the serpent finally asked Eve, he asked her, what did God really say? And she said, he said, don't eat it or touch it. God never said not to touch it. Because it builds foundation for temptation. When you start adding to, see, the first hurdle she had to do is she's scared to death to touch it. But once she touches it and doesn't die, oh, wait a minute, what did God really say? And we found her looking. She said the fruit was desirable to the sight, which really brought us to the essence of what beauty is and we talked about beauty and the desire for beauty in our culture ladies this is a rough part of week two it kind of is directed right at you we spend 64.5 billion dollars a year in the things that go on your face now we're not talking about Surgical augmentations and things. All we're talking about is what you put on your eyes, your lips, and your cheeks. $64.5 billion a year. Huh. The problem with that is, is the book of Psalms says that you can find beauty in the fellowship of God. See, sometimes we're looking in the mirror for something to affirm us and how beautiful we are. But when you have a relationship with God, He will be the one that defines your beauty. And and then then it moved to pass the beauty to the pleasure. She said it was desirable. That word right there meant pleasurable. And we found out just how, how important pleasure is to us. And you, I used three different categories. I said, remember, think of the salaries of these three groups, professional musicians, you know, those people on the stage that you know play your favorite song. How about actors or actresses? Those people that create those movies and think of their salaries and then think of the salaries of professional athletes and compare them culturally to how much we pay a police officer a nurse, a doctor, amen, Carmine says, and a firefighter. People running into your home while it's on fire, grabbing your kids and running out. And we're going to pay somebody to make a movie more than them. That's how our culture views pleasure. But again, in the book of Psalms, it says that God can bring you pleasures forevermore. And all of a sudden, the things that God... Uh, had already given mankind in the temptation Eve was falling prey to what she saw and a desire to make one wise and she could literally see it, sit at the feet of of God every single evening the most wise opportunity in the world and yet she was wanting to do it on her own and we know the story they finally took this bite and ladies you can well, I'm going to recover you so you could hear the rest of this sermon is that the Bible says that she gave to Adam who was with her. So look over there at the nearest man and say, you were there too. You could have actually stopped this thing. If you had just said, hey, wait a minute, God didn't tell her, I had to tell her, but he told me. Let's me and you talk. Wouldn't that have been a wonderful story of a man stepping up and being that redeeming force in the lives of their, their wives? I don't know what that cat was thinking. I'm going to talk to him when I get to heaven. You know, I really am. I'm going to say, what was you thinking, letting your wife try this out? Was you thinking, I got more ribs? You know, (laughs) I don't know. Just, Just food for thought. But today I'm going to start a message called The Contagious Nature of Sin. That when we ended up last week, mankind had created fear. They had run and hid themselves. Carmine preached such a powerful part of that message of hiding oneself. Because it is, the Bible says this in the book of Romans. It says, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. So every one of us had that fruit in our hand. That thing that we were supposed to stay away from. And and so I know that I can't preach effectively enough to tell you to keep the fruit out of your hand. Because the Bible says all of us have been there, done that, and we've all fallen short of that. I was more concerned last week with the second verse that the serpent preaches and sings to you in your ear. Is once you find yourself in the position of guilt, shame, and failure... He's whispering in your ear just go hide from God because if you hide from God maybe you can live through this thing but what you really need to do that's the more important message is if you find yourself fallen and broken and you find yourself riddled by guilt and shame of yesterday's transgressions don't run away from God like the serpent will whisper in your ear he'll be mad at you he'll kill you he'll strike you dead he'll quit fellowshipping with you know what you need to do is understand that the only place for truth deliverance from the bondage of sin is not to run away from him but to run to him and you'll find that he loves you and you'll find that he's able to reconcile and redeem you but there are consequences so touch your neighbor and tell them there's consequences to sin and so now we have and you can quit whenever you're ready now I've preached all of that with beautiful music in the background Because today we're going to go into Genesis chapter 4 through 6. So let me pray. Father, I ask you today to touch my mind and my heart that I might be able to effectively communicate the contagious nature of sin. And I give you the praise and honor for the authority of your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I want you to get in your mind today for today's sermon, the analogy of a disease. And if you have any questions about disease, we're going to post Dr. Joe's personal cell phone up on the screen and you can call... No, I'm teasing. He would be like, oh God, please, no. Um, Because diseases most of the time start out in a location in the body and they start to spread. And it's one thing for a disease to spread throughout your body. We could take an analogy like a deadly disease like cancer where it starts and it can be such obscure places, it could be, uh, you know, in your skin, it could be in your bones, it could be in a joint, but that, that disease has such a, uh, a tenacious nature that it can start to spread to other areas more vital. If you had a, a, a cancer tumor behind your knee, you could think, I could live without my knee, but if you leave that unreconciled, that cancer in your knee will spread to something you need like your lungs. But when a disease takes on a different... Uh, one, it takes one more step, not only to destroy you, but it can leak out of you into something else. Mankind, throughout its history, has called these things plagues. You know, those historic diseases that can't be contained just within you, but now they start to filter out into other people. See, when I left last week's sermon, we had two people with the impact of sin in their life, and it's not going to take long before it starts to leak out. This plague called sin... And it not only affects your heart, but it will also affect your mind. I put a note here. We've done a lot of touch your neighbors this morning. We're going to do it one more time. I want you to look them right in the eyes and tell them sin will affect your heart and move to your mind. See, the spreading just doesn't stop at the transfer of one's heart and mind, but it begins to leak out into other people and other things. And all of a sudden, the very thing that you're having to deal with now, the people that you love are having to deal with it. Because we go into Genesis, from Genesis chapter 3, you've got the transgression of one man and one woman. By the time you get to chapter 4, they've had children. And now what you thought could just be contained to two people is now leaked out of them. It's affected their heart, their mind and now it's starting to affect their children. All of a sudden the Bible tells you that Adam and Eve uh, gave birth to two boys, one named Cain and one named Abel. The Bible reads like this in Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Now Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a worker of the ground. They both had been taught that it was very important to worship the creator. And so they both come, as the chapter unfolds, they both come with an offering to give unto the Lord. And I've heard pe- uh, preachers and pastors take all kinds of, of scriptural liberty and trying to tell you that Cain needed to go to his brother and get a, a, a member of the flock so it could be a blood sacrifice. First of all, this act of worship happened way before, thousands of years before the Levitical law and even in the Levitical law there's a such thing as a grain offering so it wasn't that he didn't come with blood it was that he didn't come with his heart See, this issue was not in the the application of obedience according to the Levitical law because the Levitical law didn't exist. But listen to how they bring their sacrifices. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering from the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought from the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. This is one of the most incredible parts of the Bible. All of a sudden, the Bible tells you that Cain was basically coming out of obligation. Somebody told him he needed to give God a portion of what he had. And, Cain, and Abel was coming with his heart in an act of worship because Abel was going through the flock. He didn't just come with anything from the flock. He went through the flock... He, he made, investigated his flock. He determined what was his best. It said that he come with a firstborn. That means that something that was new and innocent and the fat thereof, the best of the best, he brought to God. Cain, they just said, just brought something from the ground. Both of them had jobs to do. Both of them had responsibilities. But here in an act of worship, you find out that one is giving their heart, the other is giving their stuff. The Bible says that Pain becomes angry with God. Isn't that our first response when conviction touches our lives? Oh, I thought I had that hid. They told me about you, that you could see everything, and that I really waste my time trying to hide so much, but now that you're calling me the truth, you're telling me exactly the convictions of my heart are actually true, and we get angry. I dare you call me that. It's the truth. You know, when God says, hey, you've got an issue with lying, It means you lie. He didn't make it up. But we get defensive like, I can't believe you've said that to me. (laughs) You did it. (laughs) It's the truth. I find myself in those positions getting angry at God. Like, "I, I dare, I'm a pastor. I dare you. He's like, yeah, I'm God. I dare you to think that you're daring me because I'm telling you the truth. I'm not voting. And this is what God follows up in my anger. Because I'm, I'm like pouting like a kid sometimes. Like, oh, you know, David, there's some, cor- there's some things trying to corrupt your heart, trying to harden it. And you're trying to keep stuff back from me and from other people. And so why don't we just deal with this thing? And I get mad. And, and there's some theology here. I'm going to stop. That. Everything up until now has been good, solid theology that I've taught you. Here's a little David pleasant theology. See, I don't think... Necessarily that Cain was killing his brother. I think he was killing the other way. See, if you've got the right way and the wrong way and I kill the right way, God's now manipulated and bound to accepting my way because it's the only way left. You can't manipulate God. See, he first gets mad at God for even questioning his heart and then gets mad in turn with his brother. And the Bible says he's going to rise up against his brother and take his brother's life. And again, I think he's taken uh, it the other way and now he's going to have to be responsible for this act. All of a sudden now you've got the sin from Adam and Eve now transferred into their children and now we have the first murder. Oh man, this thing's starting to get contagious. Wow. Can you imagine if the serpent would have told Eve the truth? Hey, you take that, you're going to really cause a lot of problems for all mankind. You're going to give it to your husband. Sin's going to enter into the world through his disobedience. And it's going to be thousands of years before a redeemer. And by the way, the, the cost of you taking this fruit that looks so desirable, one of your kids are going to kill the other. She would have ran as far as she could away from that. But now we find that a present reality. And here's one of the most important parts is you say, well, pastor, prove to me that Abel had the right heart. It's found in Matthew chapter 23, verse 35, about halfway through. It says that so that on you may come all righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel. So now we have a man that is righteous and a man that is unrighteous. Abel being righteous in his heart, in right standing with God. And we got Cain with his heart being away from God. And now God's coming to Cain and saying, Cain, before you do this act, even before the first murder, God came to Cain and said, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. It's waiting to destroy you. But if you'll just go correct yourself. I'm not as concerned about what you grew last year. I'm concerned with you bringing it with a heart that's after me. Will you please correct yourself? And the Bible is clear that he does not correct and takes his brother's life. Here's why the, this is in the Bible. It's because there's a very important principle right here that we have to understand. And it's one of those touch your neighbor moments. Do you know that blood can be heard by the ears of God? Tell your neighbor that God can hear the voice of blood. Why is that so important? Listen to how he convicts Cain in verse 8. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Again, God never asked a question that he doesn't know. And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Why is this so important? Because thousands of years later, there's going to be another sacrifice named Jesus, the Lamb of God, that was going to go and get between heaven and earth on a cross. Those nails were going to pierce his skin. That whipping, that that, uh, uh, whip was going to cut his back. It was going to brutalize him and his blood was going to be shed. And the moment that that blood hit the dirt, it had a voice to the ears of the Father that said, mercy triumphs over judgment. They are now free from the law of sin and death once and for all. Thank God for the blood having a voice. And this is the first time in Scripture that you see this. But God does not have to now be submitted to the manipulation of Cain. He raises a Redeemer, and this is a principle taught to the entirety of the book of Genesis, that when mankind has fallen and broken, God raises up redeem- Redeemers. All of a sudden, instead of taking Cain's way, He raises up another righteous seed called the sons of Seth. Now this is going to solve one of the mysteries of the Bible. Because in, in, before I get back to remember the sons of Seth, then you end chapter 4 with the murder and now the conviction and now the curse of Cain, And now we enter into chapter 5, and it is one of the most boring chapters in all the Bible. People looking at me like, Pastor, I enjoyed reading Genesis chapter 5. Oh, yeah. So this father begat that father and that son, and they lived 715 years. Oh, no, and this was the father of that father, and they lived 813 years. Oh, and there's the father of this father, and he lived 908 years old. Yeah, yeah. I know that you got real spiritual there. But right in the middle of the chaos of the, of the recurring boredom of this father begatting that guy and him living this long, all of a sudden the Bible takes on a new standard of righteousness and says, but there was a man named Enoch. And Enoch was righteous and he walked with God. And there was a time in Enoch's life where he was walking in fellowship with God in such close companionship. The same Hebrew words that said Adam walked with God, same Hebrew words with Enoch walk with God. But the main important thing was God's hand and heart was moved by the righteousness of one man. Sin started to spread in this epidemic this plague, and all of a sudden now you've got Enoch walking with God. and He was so in fellowship with God that he was walking with God one day and God just said, I'm going to take you to heaven today. Man, that's a ride. I sign up for that. Pastor Gray, where's your sign up for I just want to walk to heaven? I don't know about being an elite group leader, but I will sign up for going to heaven. You know... Because I'd like to go that route. If if I could skip death, there's only two people in the whole Bible that didn't die. Elijah and this man named Enoch. I'd like to be fishing on my boat, by the way, if I'm just going to have a request to God. I'm going to be fishing on my boat, and I'm going to be catching a lot of big fish. And somewhere in the secret place where all these red fish live is closer to heaven than it is to my house. And mysteriously, I'm all by myself. And God just shows up on my boat and says, David, let's go to heaven. If you or Shell ever find my boat empty and I'm gone, heaven. (laughs) Y'all are going to call the Coast Guard and look for me in the water, but I'm probably just, well, I I probably got so close to my honey hole that, that it is that close to heaven. And God just said, just come on with me. I'm good with that. This man Enoch walked with God, and his righteousness moved the hand of God and the heart of God. And then you turn the page and you find the pandemic nature of sin right in the middle of the first verses of chapter 6. Listen to how it says. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive and they took them as their wives and they chose, that they chose from them. Some people have said, Pastor, that's that's fallen angels having sexual relationships with human beings and they created these giants. Yeah, the problem with that is if you do that, you take out the sinful nature because you take out the bloodline of Adam. Oh, wait a minute. Then what does the Bible mean by the sons of God and the daughters of men? Well, there was a righteous seed, and if you really trace it back, almost every theologian will tell you those were the descendants of Seth. They become so righteous in the sight of God that now that they were known as the sons of God and the daughters of Cain were known as the daughters of men. And now, instead of, again, the righteous falling prey to emotional-driven decisions, how did they pick their wives? What they saw. Remember, that's exactly what Eve did when she saw the fruit hanging in the tree. the Bible said it was desirable to sight and desirable to make one wise. And all of a sudden, instead of asking God, who should be my spouse, they're asking what they see and how they feel about that person. All of a sudden, now they're choosing based upon the beauty of the outside. You can't trust the beauty of the outside. How many of you have ever met somebody Man, woman, boy, or girl that was beautiful on the outside. But when you got to see on the inside, they were kind of ugly. Amen. Sometimes you can't judge a book by its cover. Amen. There's been a lot of people in my office say, Pastor, I didn't know what I was getting into. Is there a receipt? He looked so good. She was devastating, Pastor. And now they're coming in there talking like, they made a decision based upon what wouldn't it be wonderful Pastor Gray If how many counseling sessions could we solve if we would just before they go and say I do just to say have you prayed about this thing has God told you that this is the I do partner for you because you may not be right for them but they look so good yeah Michelle can stand up and testify looks fade <laughs> That man I married, he was tan, long hair, now no hair. He's still got his tan going for him. I wore these good clothes because I've lost so much weight over the last few weeks. Because I, I wanted to let her know I'm trying to get that guy back. <laughs> but the Bible says that they started again. So now you have the righteous group of people and mixing with the unrighteous group of people. And now their children have a choice to make. Who do we follow? Who, who, who do we learn from? And then the Bible says, left to ourselves. The Bible then describes the world as the heart of men being evil and thinking evil Continually. Oh my goodness, it started with one man and one woman then it leaked into their children. Now it's leaked into the whole world. And now that every thought of man... Remember I told you sin will affect the heart and the mind. Every thought of man is evil continually. I didn't write the Bible. It, and then God... Then the language changes... And it gets so confusing because we think that God can't make mistakes. And all of a sudden, the book of Genesis chapter 6, starting about verse 3, all of a sudden the Bible says He regretted that He made man. Almost like God made a mistake. No, He didn't. He wasn't saying that he regretted uh, making man in his likeness and his image. He regretted the fact that man chose not to be his image bearer, but follow the image of their own image, of their own flesh, that God is so upset, and most theologians say, it's like a father that is so wounded and offended by one of his children living so far beneath their potential that he is regretful that they have made the choice that they've made to be like themselves instead of like him. And all of a sudden God is like, how in the world? How many parents can say that you've had children at one time in, their, in your life that have lived below their potential and you, it kind of offended you that they had so much more to offer but they lived down here? It'd be like somebody telling me, Pastor, I'm a high jumper, I jumped six inches today. Man, you can take a step. You didn't jump, that's called a step. You just did that. Don't make me celebrate. You're not getting a trophy for walking. Put the bar up about seven feet. We'll put a USA jersey on you and send you to the Olympics. Now we're talking. But don't brag about you taking a step. I, I high jumped today four inches. Okay. Okay. Because it motivates a parent to get a little bit of righteous indignation and a little bit of righteous anger when it comes to the development of their children. You don't always have to be their friend. Sometimes you could stand up and say, Wait a minute, you're acting irresponsibly and I am grieved by that. And you are living so far below your potential that I know God has given you. And sometimes you have to make them mad to motivate them to the right path. We need revival. That's a a must. And Amy, get ready to play me something. But revival comes in all forms. We think we need, you know, well, pastor, we need a Holy Ghost revival where people are demonstrating the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Yes, amen. But I need people getting up out of the floor and acting like they are somebody and going into their children and being willing. I need a revival of parents becoming the villain. Put on a black hat for a moment. It's okay to be the villain sometimes. I'm going to give you some advice. I've been the villain sometimes, a lot of times. Both with my kids and with the church. If you become the villain and you have the fortitude to stay the villain long enough, you'll become the good guy again because some of the most regretful moments of my kids' lives was when they were running headlong towards a cliff and dad got angry and said, "Wait a minute, I ain't going to let you. I ain't going down without swinging. I'm going to tell you you're headed towards a cliff." And they got mad, shrugged their shoulders, said, "Dad, you're just old-fashioned. No, you're headed towards a cliff." Old-fashioned or not, gravity's going to take hold of you when you lose ground and you're going to fall. Because I would rather them be angry at me for producing the element of danger and making them available and revelation of that than then to carry them off the cliff. And how would a loving father have not opened up his mouth and said something about it? I would rather them say I'm the bad guy on the front side of the cliff than to land on the, the rocks at the bottom and say, Dad, why didn't you tell me? But here's where we get, have to get to. It's the Bible says that God regretted or or actually uh, felt bad about the decisions of mankind and He decides, I'm going to bring judgment. Remember I told you that the story started with one man walking with God in the garden. Then there was one man, Enoch, in chapter 5 that walked with God and his righteousness stayed in the hand of God. And all of a sudden in, in the book of Genesis, we ain't even getting to the rain yet. God's so upset about the lack of potential in his children living up to the potential he gave to them to be image bearers that he's bringing judgment, harsh judgment. I'm just going to wipe them out. And he's so harsh in this portion of the Bible. He says, I, I'm going I'm to wipe them out and all the animals. The birds and everything. I'm going to get them all. And then some of the most beautiful words ever recorded in the Bible. Verse 8, chapter 6. We ain't even got to the rain yet. We don't get to the rain until chapter 9. Or chapter 7. The Bible says, he is in the midst of proclaiming this judgment. And then 8 hits and says, but Noah. Look at somebody and say, but Noah. Some of the most beautiful words in all the Bible. But Noah. And the Bible says Noah was righteous, blameless, and he walked with God. All of a sudden now, the scale of humanity is sitting before God the Father. And the scale is leaning this way with everybody living unrighteously and thinking evil continually. It has affected their heart and their mind. And one guy on this side of the scale decides, I'm going to live in right standing with God. And God sees it and it makes a difference. And it stays the hand of judgment. Not only because you say, well pastor, there was still flood but there was one man in a boat I love how the Bible unfolds pastor I don't like the Old Testament because God's harsh and he judged people he killed everybody in a flood no they killed themselves he had a man build a boat a vehicle of mercy and they had a hundred years to get in and they chose not to ever get in so don't blame God for them drowning outside the boat he gave them a word for a hundred years to get in the boat none of them chose to Remember that creature of self-will? Man. But one man. Stay the hand of God. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to wrap this up, Amy, and you can lead us in worship. See, righteousness makes a difference to God. In the face of... I hear so many Christians say, the hell, world's going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, you know why the wrath of God hasn't been poured out? because there are righteous walking among the unrighteous that are staying the hand of judgment from God and we are seeing that righteousness can be just as contagious as unrighteousness all of a sudden a white city gate bus shows up in a neighborhood and the gospel starts going forth all of a sudden you start seeing righteousness become contagious all of a sudden the gospel goes to your aunt your uncle your, your all of a sudden you get transformed and all of a sudden your family's watching you and they haven't even been in a relationship with God they are considered unrighteous outside the relationship with God and there you start to walk in the matter of faith and the hand of God finds favor on you and you become the the dispensation of mercy grace and love see Noah's story is about God taking one righteous man, not a perfect man. Don't, don't, don't mess up the description of righteous and perfect. Righteousness means he's just trying to be in right standing with God. He's giving God his heart. And then all of a sudden, God says, I'm not going to kill everybody with a flood. There's one guy making a difference. I'm going to use him to redeem mankind. And he's going to redeem mankind through a vehicle of mercy called an ark because it was a foreshadowing of another wooden vehicle of mercy that was going to come thousands of years later called the vehicle of the cross. That one righteous sacrifice would stay the hand of God and we would be redeemed and set free once and for all from the law of sin and death. Who has God rescued through your righteousness? We'll only know when we get to heaven. What if judgment was coming to Southwest Florida, but God looked throughout the churches of Southwest Florida and saw the righteous and said, instead of me bringing judgment, why don't I just bring the gospel, the good news through those that are traveling among the unrighteous and declare that I can still bring order to chaos, light to darkness and detail to the void. Sometimes in our services, we worship the Lord with our offerings. I want to ask you, did you bring God your stuff today or did you bring Him you? Your heart. Do you have the heart of Abel, that righteous person? Not perfect, but righteous, pursuing right standing with God. That is willing to give God whatever you are, not just your stuff. Will you be willing to stand in the culture of unrighteousness and be that Enoch that walks with God? Would you stand to your feet with me? Would you be willing to be the Noah? Be the Noah. Be the Noah. Be the Noah.